You're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, episode 33. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Business and Life Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Angela from Angela Henderson Consulting, and as always, thank you so much for being here. Today is going to be a fascinating conversation with Elise from Exodus Wear because we're going to dive deep into manufacturing in China. What are the pros? What are the cons? How to find a manufacturer? What trade fairs could people go to in China to get started? And Elise is also going to give us some wonderful tips for those of you thinking about manufacturing in China collectively. Now, I get a lot of questions about manufacturing, and really, manufacturing in China is an increasingly popular option for businesses wanting to take advantage of low labor costs technically skilled workforce, and good infrastructure. However, leaping into manufacturing in China without experience can be costly to any business. Finally, the right manufacturer, setting up the process and getting goods delivered to your door can also prove complex, time-consuming for those with limited experience within the Chinese market. Novice mistakes can lead to suboptimal products that do not meet your uh, specifications and a bill for goods you cannot even use. So this is why I brought Elise onto the podcast today so she can share with us her wealth of knowledge of manufacturing in China. But before we get into the world of manufacturing in China, I just want to take a moment and let you know that this episode is sponsored by Profit Pillars, which is my ready-to-implement eight-week program designed for women in business to give your business the bulletproof advantage it needs to protect itself from overwhelm, frustration, and heartbreaking failure. With a step-by-step approach and built-in accountability and implementation, this is the only business growth program that shows you how to put passion and purpose together to generate profits for your business. Now, all you need to do is go to AngelaHenderson.com.au and share Profit Pillars to join the waitlist for the next enrollment, which is coming soon. Now, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and jump into this wonderful conversation with Elise. So welcome to the show, Elise, and thanks so much for being here on a Friday. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. So as a guest with the show, I do this with every single person that comes on board. We'd love to get to know a little bit about you before we dive into, again, the manufacturing in China. So can you tell us a little bit more about your business, how long you've been in business for, kind of who's your ideal client, what do you rock and roll with? And also, since obviously you're manufacturing in China, I'd love a fun little tip. I need to know what is your favorite Chinese food. So I started my business Exodus Wear when I was 21. So that was in 2009. And Exodus Wear manufactures custom um, jackets, specializing in making them for the Levers Wear market. So in Australia, we have this tradition that in your senior year, you get a custom jacket or jersey, which has your nickname on it. So I had the brilliant idea at age 21 with no fashion experience, no manufacturing experience, no China experience to go start a business in this. And so consequently have spent pretty much the last decade making every mistake you can possibly make when it comes to manufacturing in China. But fortunately, I've learned a lot along the way. So hopefully that is um, going to be able to help your audience. And when it comes to my favorite Chinese cuisine, I have to say that 
I can't go to Hong Kong without uh, visiting Din Tai Fung and getting a vegetable wonton noodle soup. It's my absolute fave. Oh gosh, it does sound delicious. And considering we're recording this just a few hours out before lunch, I could definitely, do you know what I mean, start going for some wonton soup. Totally. And it's now- so cold today in Sydney. So for me, whenever I'm cold, I'm like, oh, I could just like cuddle a bottle, big bowl of soup. <laughs> <laughs> big bottle of the Wongong soup. So that's yeah. your all-too favorite. So as you said, you've been doing this since you were 21. Lots of lessons I'm sure you have learned, as you've said, along the way. And But for those out there that are like, okay, I'd like to avoid some of those lessons if I can, even though we all need to do you know I mean go through lessons in time. Can you talk to us a little bit about just you know, why I guess for me is why did you choose China versus any other country? Because there's obviously India is coming, you know, very strong behind China at the moment. You've got Indonesia, who's also doing a lot with manufacturing. So what was China for you? Really, you have to think about 10 years ago, China was and truly still is the main manufacturing hub of the world. And so if you are going to start you know, somewhere. China is a great place because there are just so many, you know, infrastructure and support networks in China that, you know, are set up to encourage people to manufacture there. Whereas a lot of these developing nations are still setting up things like their fabric supply markets and, you know, the manufacture of raw materials. So for me, it wasn't really even a question about, um, you know, looking elsewhere. And I also feel like, traveling to China, the proximity of Australia to China, all of that sort of stuff just influenced me to think, okay, well, this is probably the best way to go. In particular, like traveling to Hong Kong is not too difficult. They're English speaking. So for me, I didn't really consider other options. We do now manufacture in Pakistan, Sri Lanka and China. And I have definitely noticed that there are positive and negatives to, you know, choosing the country that you manufacture in. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what would you say is one of the first thing what are the pros for manufacturing because i know we could talk about the other countries you're talking about but for me in particular really want to hone in on the china today so what are the pros for manufacturing in china that you have found throughout the last what nine years is that right nine ten years, years coming years? Ten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah so it comes back to this concept of the infrastructure so just to give you a simple example like we manufacture in sri lanka as well we you know have fantastic workers there we love you know our factory it's all amazing but truly they just don't have the same infrastructure that China does. And what I mean by that is there's no one manufacturing the raw materials. So the fabrics that we need to put into our products, the, you know, the hardware, the, the decoration, like PU, you know, um, materials. Whereas if you go to China, there are whole districts, like I'm talking about, you know, places that look like cities, which are just designed to sell fabric. (laughs) You know, you can go into, one complex, which is, you know, a building out of seven. And it's so big that the cars like drive in and out of the bottom of the building. It's like a huge Western hall. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And, you know, in there, there'll be like a thousand different stalls of people who are all sourcing and manufacturing fabric. And so for me, it almost comes down to like, while it would be nice to be able to perhaps like manufacture in a different country, until the other countries catch up and have enough demand and enough of a, you know, I guess supply chain, it's just not going to be possible. So China definitely at the moment still has that competitive advantage that they've really gone, you know, from start to finish and made it possible to manufacture absolutely anything you want in China. So I guess what you're saying is one of the pros is just that the level of our, the, um, the amount of options, I guess you have within China. Do you know what I mean? Would you, is that, so that's one of the pros? 
Definitely. I think, you know, you can pretty much have in your mind that your product can be made in China. It's just a matter of like finding the right way to do it. Whereas perhaps if you, you know, like the idea of, well, I want to manufacture in Bali so that I can go to Bali every year for, you know, my factory visit. That's a nice thought, but it may not necessarily be the reality. Yep. And so what other positives are there in regards to the pros of manufacturing China? Like, obviously, there's a lot of my clients who do beautiful handmade items like they are absolutely stunning and they're very firm about wanting to maintain in Australia. And I totally, you know, what I mean, support that particular decision. However, I'm also mindful about how many hours they can sit at the sewing machines, you know, what I mean, and, and be able to fulfill they're, they're not really ever going to be able to scale because of the fact that, you know, there's only one of them and a sewing machine, or even if they brought on other Australian sewers, potentially, again, it's eating into the profit margin, etc. But when you go to China, I mean, I can only assume, and I would love for you to validate or not validate, that other pros about manufacturing in China are things like, again, the lower cost point, that they do have amazing skilled workers, that they've got the ability to have higher outputs and quick turnovers, um, that their overall customer service is quite impeccable and that it's like you said before easily to um, assess um, and access that Chinese market. That's correct and look I think it all comes down to what your goal is because I know that there are some people who you know make a product that's handmade they make it themselves they can do a certain capacity it generates you know a certain amount of income and they're happy with that and I am happy for people who can identify what makes them happy. So if that's Mm -hmm. what you really want and that's the level you want to go to, of course, you know, continue doing that. But if you're thinking, well, I want what I'm currently making, but I want to have an empire and I want to make a big business and I don't want to be the one at the sewing machine all day long, you realistically have to think about how you're going to mass produce the product. And I think Mass production can sometimes sound like a nasty word because it's like, oh, well, that's mass produced. But you can mass produce something, you know, that's 100 units and you can still input all the beautiful fabrics and the decorations that you currently use, but you're just really training someone else to do the same sort of skill set that you've got. So for me, I think definitely... China is much, much more open to working with smaller quantities now. So I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it was this kind of thing, well, oh, I need to just churn through 10,000 units and it's going to have to be like cookie cutter and it's not going to be bespoke and beautiful. Whereas now I think China is much more open to working with, you know, I guess, um, you know, craftspeople who are, you know, doing the small runs of beautiful designs and they can kind of see the value in that ongoing relationship. So I think China definitely has extremely highly skilled workers. So it is possible to get, you know, things made that are beyond just like a basic t-shirt with like a logo printed on it. Again, it comes down to the infrastructure. It comes down to language. So, you know, China in itself has pushed so much to have, um, you know, English taught as a second language. Then you've got to factor in other things. So we have the China um, Australia Free Trade Agreement at the moment. So normally when you're importing products into Australia, you're going to have to pay a duty tax on them. And that tax um, changes from country to country that you work with. But previously, a lot of products that came in from China had a 10% duty tax. Because of the Free Trade Agreement, we don't have to pay duty now. So if you think about just that 10% extra onto your margin, it's quite considerable. So, you know, that in itself is a really big thing to think about because, you know, sometimes I'll compare my prices between my factories from other countries and I think, oh yeah, you know, the price in Pakistan is really cheap. But then I think, well, hold on a second. By the time I add on duty and I add on this, you know, it kind of works out to just be 
better to go with China, which may seem a little bit more expensive, but you kind of like have cost savings elsewhere. Yes. No, great point. Again, especially if we put with the free trade agreement, as you said, when you, when you start to have bigger quantities, that 10%, uh, you know, adds up very, very quickly, you know, and uh, when you start looking at your margins and everything like that. So now what are the cons for manufacturing in China? And maybe you've kind of overcome some of those hurdles because you've been doing this for close to 10 years. But for those starting out, obviously, there's risk associated with that, you know, intellectual property, you know, etc. So can you tell us what the cons for manufacturing in China have been for you and what people need to consider? I think one of the biggest problems, but also potentially it's a pro, is that China currently is not that creative. So, you know, they're very good at copying, which obviously can lead to, you know, your product being stolen and sold out the side door of the factory, which has happened to me. But I think, you know, one of the cons is that it's very hard to kind of work with a factory and develop a concept with them. It's almost like you have to sometimes go direct to the factory with like the end result that you want them to copy. But I actually, you know, we'll sort of talk more about this if we get time. I don't think that that's the way to actually develop and prototype a product. So it's kind of like this catch 22 where it's like, you don't want them to be so creative that they can go, you know, develop competitor lines to what you're creating. But you also want them to be like creative enough that they can kind of think outside the square. And so if you're having a challenge with like a, you know, component in your design and you're thinking like, what is an, another solution to this? Sometimes the factory isn't the one that comes up with it and you're the one who has to do it. So that's difficult. The other thing obviously is because of the fact that we are in, you know, different countries, there is this sort of attitude that they can kind of get away with things. Like they're not really being like, watch that closely. And honestly, some of it comes down to almost like, culturally they've been taught that it's not necessarily being dishonest or doing the wrong thing if they're trying to make like a little bit of extra money for themselves so sometimes something that will happen is like i strongly suggest to people don't get so hung up on negotiating price at the start because i just feel like it comes back to bite you later because there's this like cultural this mentality in china that if you've like kind of pushed them so hard on price, it's almost their right or they're entitled to try and make up margin in other areas. Okay. So it could be something like, you know, they've found a fabric that kind of looks exactly like your fabric, but they're able to get it cheaper. And so they will like change your fabric without speaking to you because it's an attempt to kind of like recover some of that margin. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, say then, then there's an issue with that fabric and you say to them, well, why did you change this fabric? They will literally come back to you and be like, well, you kind of like screwed us so hard on price. We've had to find other ways to make money. And there's almost like no apology there. It's kind of like a, well, it's actually your fault because of the right. way that you set this up. We had to go and like do this to try and survive. So like, yeah, don't blame us. And so that is something that I've kind of really struggled with because in Australia, I think we have a much more upfront way of doing business. And in China, they have this thing and it's called saving face. And it's almost this inability to own up to a a mistake. It's kind of like they will like avoid telling you something like until like it, it escalates so like beyond like being a problem that it's crazy. Like we've had this happen where the factory will um, kind of run out of capacity. Like say we've put in more orders than, you know, we, we normally would have. 
and they won't say to us, hey, like we've run out of capacity. They will let it get to the point that they're like running four weeks behind schedule and you're like, what's going on? And then eventually like when it's, there's no other option for them, they'll be like, oh, well, we ran out of capacity. And you're like, right. why didn't you tell me four or eight weeks ago when I put in the order that potentially there was going to be a problem, but they obviously don't want you to move the order to another factory. But then the end result is that it becomes an argument over like who's going to pay for air freight. Whereas like maybe if, you know, you had kind of discussed it early on, you could have said to your customer, are you willing to wait a little bit longer? Or you could have like juggled or done something. Whereas I feel like instead of kind of working together, it sort of turns into this situation where they're so afraid to kind of like be blamed for anything going wrong that it actually creates a bigger problem for everyone to deal with in the end, which is a silly kind of way of doing business. And so what, what is one, what's something you've done to try to overcome or minimize that over the years? I always say your main focus should be on finding a factory who supplies you with an, you know, accurate quality product on time and don't worry so much about the negotiations up front. Cause I see, you know, so many articles and like, you know, people talking about how to negotiate with China, but I just feel like if you start from a place of cheap pricing, it's going to come back to bite you later with, you know, substandard quality product. You're going to be working with a factory who, it's going to cut corners and all of that sort of stuff. So for me, I kind of focus on get the manufacturing right and like make sure everything's going really well. And then there are ways to kind of work together to achieve better price points. So it's like if you're doing more volume, then it's easy to kind of go back to the factory and be like, hey, look, we're doing more volume. You should be able to achieve some economies of scale now. Let's, you know, let's talk about our pricing or you know, could we do something in terms of like buying more fabric? So then that way we get like a better price from the fabric supply. And I feel like you can work together as opposed to, I feel like people go in and are so enticed by like really cheap pricing and think, oh my God, I'm going to make so much money. But inevitably what I've seen is that when you try and focus too much on how much money you're going to make up front, it never ends up panning out like, like that way. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's many examples that you could say just in life. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm a business consultant, obviously, and I hear people will go, oh, yeah, but, you know, you cost X amount, but so-and-so costs, you know, half that. And I'm like, that's great. You know, you are probably correct. But again, it's going to come down to you'll probably end up coming to me anyways, because they have they don't have a successful business. They're not trained. They can't connect you with other people, etc. So then they've just wasted all this money and all this time. So again, I do think that, again, people will ultimately cut corners a lot of time because, again, it's coming down to saving, trying to save money in their head, but not looking at the, lo- the long term plan strategy and not looking at quality versus you know what I mean that whole yeah that quantity type scenario well it's as simple as you get what you pay for <laughs> and so yeah. if you've got some miraculously cheap product that you're like managing to buy it's probably going to be cheap you know like yes. it's probably not going to look that good and you kind of need to work out your position and how you want your product to be perceived in the market. Are you just churning out like a cheap product? Or if you are transitioning from almost this handmade, you know, bespoke product into something a little bit more mass produced, well, don't expect to get huge cost savings. If you want to make it, you know, up to the standard that you've been making, you know, kind of like keep that in mind. Like if it costs you X amount to make, just because you're now making a hundred in China doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like, you know, a fifth of the price. It's more so about achieving that, you know, economies of scale and achieving that level of mass production where you can kind of step away from doing the manual labor. And then as you grow, you can start to think a little bit more about, you know, how to get those cost savings in. 
Yeah. So other cons for manufacturing. So obviously I like the really one of those big cons that you just talked about is about the saving face and that sometimes again, pride is getting in the way of potentially, do you know what I mean? The growth of your business or making deadlines. So that's one of the cons. Um, would you also say that them uh, having, I guess your own intellectual property, you know, is that another also risk that you have that you come up with this great idea? You guys have, you know, created it you've you've executed you're now ready to scale and potentially next you know they take that idea and run with it uh, yeah. have you found that as also a potential con for manufacturing in china do you know i think that's just a con for business in general just because you're controlling your manufacturing now and like say you're hand making every single item doesn't mean that someone in australia couldn't buy your product and take it to a factory in China and copy it i don't necessarily like i think so people get so caught up on that but in business, my experience is that you constantly have to be innovating and evolving. And if you rely on, you know, the one idea that made you successful and you never do anything else, inevitably people catch up anyway. So it may not be the factory in China who's like selling it out the side door. It may be someone else who's kind of like caught up to you. And so this is kind of how I always say to people that they need to kind of work with this is like, if someone starts copying you, take it as like a bit of a compliment and then don't, get so hung up on like fighting them about not copying you because I have worked with a lot of people where they want like legal advice about how they can stop people copying their designs and I'm thinking you know huge company, <laughs> yeah well like huge companies like Chanel have huge departments and like billion dollar budgets to just try and fight counterfeit and they themselves can't do it and so really the only attitude is that each season they have to come out with a new better collection that's got a point of difference that people are going to want and yes. inevitably it will take time for other people to catch up and by the time you know everyone else caught up they've created something new and Going to new to something else yeah. and i really like that because i too am a firm believer that again the haters are going to hate, the copiers are going to copy, you know, and you've got choices to make. Either get brought down by their emotional actions, do you know what I mean, and their inability to be creative themselves. Or again, I find successful entrepreneurs and business owners are those that just kind of let that emotion stop, you know, and just move on to the next thing. So I do agree more. I think it was just more around the lines of, do, in your experience, do they need to be mindful? And what you're saying is, is, yes, you need to be mindful of it. It's probably going to happen. But again, you know, it's, you've got to keep rocking and rolling at the end of the day. Attention, women in business, get ready to ignite your success and elevate your game. Join me for an exclusive three-day women in business conference from October 31st to November 2nd at the breathtaking Gold Coast, Australia. Designed exclusively for online business owners, service-based business owners, coaches, consultants, and course creators. What to expect at this amazing three-day Women in Business Conference? Expect an immersive experience filled with fun, empowering keynote speakers, interactive workshops, networking opportunities with other successful business owners, gain valuable insights, forge meaningful connections, and leave inspired to take your business to new heights. 12 speakers have already been announced with five more speakers being announced shortly. We have Steph Taylor joining us, Anita Seek joining us, Lisa Cordiff joining us, and not to mention Manny from Sound Healing Australia, who will be there for the most magical sound healing experience ever. You do not want to miss the event of the year for women in business. To secure your ticket, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au today. Exactly. And I do encourage you to have a contract, but it's more so to set expectations. And it's also to put, I guess, a seed of doubt in the minds of everyone that there is the option, should you choose to do something about it, that you can. But 
we all know a contract is as good as the money that you have to fight it. So like, unless you've got a big war chest of money that you're going to use to fight this with the potential risk that it won't actually, you know, go your way. Plus all the time that you're going to spend on it. My experience is that, you know, people who generally go down that path, maybe they feel good at the end of it if they won. But when you look at the cost of winning, which is literally the financial cost, the time cost, the distraction from running your business, generally you never really ever win. And so that's where sometimes I think, yeah, have the, you know, contract as a bit of a deterrent that hopefully the factory will think, well, you know, I've signed this and maybe like they could come after me one day. But realistically, if you start to see something happening, you're working with the wrong partner and you need to just like think what's next oh, yeah and yeah. you know try and come up with the next thing which is it's tough but that's business it's mm. it's not meant to be easy otherwise everyone would do it but yeah everyone would be millionaires walking around do you know what I mean living the yes. four-hour work week but unfortunately exactly. again there's normally more blood sweat and tears at the beginning and even throughout so listen so obviously some of those cons like we talked about also I'm assuming shipping can be difficult at times if all of a sudden you've got if you're got an order and it's running light and now you've got an air freight it over versus do you mean potentially C right uh, quality control I'm assuming can also probably be a con potentially because you're again you're that distance part and potentially also you know the language barrier and just that, that overall cultural differences would you confirm those or deny those correct I think the biggest challenge of offshore manufacturing is there's just so many variables so you can do everything 100% right and look I'm 10 years in and I still have issues. So, you know, we manufacture across six factories in three countries and I'm all about a backup for the backup and a backup for the backup. But even sometimes all of that can fail. And that happened to us this year where we had, you know, freak situations. We had flooding in Sri Lanka. We had flooding in one of our factories in China. We had another factory that was over capacity. We had Pakistan manufacturing for the FIFA World Cup. So all of a sudden, like, no one was available to do anything. And I found myself in a position where I was like, I cannot believe that every single fail safe that I've got here has actually just failed on me. And so we were running it behind, um, you know, production schedule. We were air freighting. God knows how much stuff it was horrendous. And so it doesn't really matter. Like sometimes you think, well, I've done everything that I need to do to make this happen, you know, correctly. And there'll be some external variable which comes in like the dollar crashing, you know, anything could happen, you know, storms in botany that, you know, mean that at customs and, you know, at the port, the goods are, you know, taking longer to get off the ship. And I think, so many customers don't understand the complexity of what you've gone through to get this one product to them. And I know that for me, this is something we struggle with, especially with high school students who don't really have an awareness of the fact that, hold on a second, I just went and made this custom jacket for you from scratch. I personalized it with your name. I got it in another country. Like I did all of this stuff. And because of the way that retail is like these days where it's like, if you want something now, you can get it. You don't even have to pay for it. You can after pay it. If you don't like it, you can just return it and it won't cost you anything. I think the way that retail has become has almost made, you know, consumers a little less understanding of the complexity of what actually goes into delivering, you know, a product to someone. So that can be um, a massive challenge. And 
And also, let's be honest, high schoolers too, unfortunately, their headspace isn't necessarily uh, 100% empathetic towards others. They're still a little bit self-absorbed sometimes. They're leaving, do you know what I mean, school. They've got a whole bunch of going on that sometimes that I would also say just with your demographic, do you know what I mean, that they might Uh, not understand, like they just want it now, you know, like I'm graduating, I want this, you know. Exactly. And like, you need to look at the internet culture of trolling, of, you know, kind of being like, I guess, um, no consequences to what you write on the internet. So this is something we struggle with so much, like to the point that we sometimes want to just turn off our Google Maps listing or, you know, turn off our reviews because we have, you know, thousands and thousands of happy customers who are too lazy to write a positive review for us. But now there's this culture that if there is one single thing that goes wrong, you know, whether it is that their jackets are delayed, they can be absolutely vicious. Like they will create fake accounts. They will like, you know, send a WhatsApp message to their whole group of friends and be like, let's all go on and like give this company a negative review. And so, you know, in the space of like an hour, we could have like 50 kids all go put like a negative review on our Google maps. And I literally feel like saying to them, like, um, okay, so you know there's like flooding in Sri Lanka and that means like people are actually dying. They've lost their livelihoods. They've lost, you know, like family members. But to them, all they see is like, well, I ordered a jacket and I paid for it. Where is it? Like there's kind of no empathy or no kind of greater understanding of the, you know, why? Like why is something delayed? Because there is definitely this, you know, instant gratification that is happening at the moment and definitely there's like almost this feeling of no consequences to what you write on the internet that has created this kind of terrible little formula for us where people, you know, don't understand how much work it takes to make, you know, a single custom jacket personalized for you and that, yeah, sometimes things go wrong. And so they won't be empathetic and they will write something and they don't understand that I, as a business owner, they're impacting my livelihood because now other people will read those reviews and think, well, oh, this company's not good. And then I'll have to explain and say, oh, look, we have so many happy customers and I'll email our customers and say, hey, like, would you mind taking the time to write a review? Like, they'll even write me an amazing review and email and I'll say, hey, like, do you mind just like putting that on Google? And they won't do it. And it's like, why Why can't people be more motivated to do, you know, the good reviews? Yeah, no, but, and they do, and again, I think it comes down to that world of busyness. But again, when people don't get something they want, they're quite, like you said, the trolling can begin. Yeah. So for those, now we've covered obviously what are the pros of manufacturing in China? What are the cons for manufacturing in China? Now, if someone, for those listeners out there, they're like, "Ooh, I really okay. This sounds alright. You know, it's it's reality. There's probably going to be some cons. I'm going to have to have backup plans. You know, this all sounds good. But for those listening out there, if someone wants to, you know, how does someone go about finding a manufacturer in China? You know, what do they need to do? Is it best that they go through an agent here in Australia? Is it best that they head over to China themselves? Like, what would you, you know, what what would you recommend to people about how to find that manufacturer in China and get things rocking and rolling for them? So I've done it all. <laughs> I've done, you know, using agents, sourcing direct, going to China. And my biggest piece of advice to people is to start as you intend to go on. So if your goal is, you know what, this is just like a little hobby business for me. I love my day job. I never want to quit it. I just want to have a little bit of extra income. You know, I don't want the hassle of dealing with everything. Then yes, maybe an agent is the way that you want to go. Mm -hmm. But if you've created this amazing product that you want to build an empire off 
realistically, at some point, you're going to have to manufacture direct. And I almost feel like by starting, like most people think, oh, I'll start with an agent and then I will go direct. And I have done this before. But you have to understand what an agent's job is and how they can protect themselves in the supply chain. So an agent's obviously going to go put in all of the groundwork to set up all of your you know, factory, your manufacturing, all of that sort of stuff. Now, they're not going to go hand that information over to you because then it just cuts them out of the supply chain completely. And realistically, how can you make money off that model? So most agents are quite secretive and generally won't give you a lot of information about what's happening. Now, they'll try and sell that to you as a, we take care of it all for you. We don't want you to be bogged down in the detail and we want to, you know, you worry about what you're good at and we'll worry about what we're good at. But the reality is they're thinking, we don't want you to know this information because then you could potentially use it to bypass us. So first things first, pick which way you're going to go and Yeah, it might be a little bit more painful to begin with, but if you're thinking, I want to build an empire out of this product, you need to source direct and you might as well do it from the beginning because you might find that in three or four years, if you try and move from an agent to a factory, it's going to be just like starting from scratch anyway. And at that point, you'll have customers and a reputation and you could really jeopardize that if you don't, you know, make that transition right. So just bear the brunt of the pain at the start and set it up properly. When it comes... I'm sorry. Yep, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, when it comes to finding a factory, I don't think it's that hard because the internet just makes it so simple now. So I love to use sourcing websites like Global Sources and the Hong Kong Trade and Development Center. My favorite being Global Sources because they run um, a trade show for pretty much everything. And when you're sourcing on their website, you can actually filter by people who are going to be attending upcoming trade shows. So you know, finding a factory is all about building a relationship. So if you use a sourcing website as like the initial research tool, make contact, I really think the next step is that you actually need to go and visit them. And it makes it really easy if they're going to be in Hong Kong at a trade show for you to go as opposed to like maybe, you know, a trip to mainland China might be a little bit more confronting for you, especially if you're traveling on your own. So definitely use one of the websites and then make the effort of going to at least Hong Kong to go to a trade show and build the relationship face-to-face. And what are the primary trade fairs over in Hong Kong that people, do you know what I mean, should be looking at potentially going to? Yeah, so Global Sources is one of the main trade show um, organizers and then also um, Hong Kong Trade and Development Center. And I would say they're the main ones for Hong Kong, which is the easiest, you know, when it does come to going to a trade show. If you're going to a trade show in mainland China, travel obviously is a little bit more difficult. You can um, get a business visa, you know, from the trade show, they'll give you a letter to, you know, kind of take the steps to do all of that. But Hong Kong is such an easy stopover location that I always say to people, you know, if you're really serious, you don't necessarily have to go on a trip to China or like have your next holiday there. But Hong Kong is a great stopover to Europe or to anywhere else. And you can hit a trade show in one or two days. And it's a really easy introduction to making those first steps. Like you don't have to make it so complicated that you need to do like a two-week trip around China, like visiting all these factories. Like it can be as simple as, you know, one or two days in Hong Kong, visit, you know, some factories via a trade show. And then if things progress, you can always go back and do a more intense kind of like sourcing trip. 
Which I also think is good because some people might be sitting here going, yep, I'm going to go to one of the trade fairs in Hong Kong and we're going to go full force and they get the trade fair and they're like, you know what, actually, maybe this isn't for me. So instead of spending, do you mean two, three, four weeks, whatever, trekking around China and ultimately still going, this probably isn't for me. I think it's a great way for people to at least get their feet wet, start to make relationships and kind of start to suss it out, but at a more cost effective um, for your business, ultimately, overall, if you go into Hong Kong, probably versus China. I 100% agree. And that kind of, for me, is always the test of how serious someone is because, you know, it's very easy to sit at your desk and to, you know, use sourcing websites and contact factories and think of ideas and all this sort of stuff. But sometimes you kind of do have to put your money where your mouth is. And like most people, this, you know, maybe a generalization, but most people will take some sort of trip each year. Even if it's, you know, an interstate trip in Australia and the cost, you know, of flights to Hong Kong, there are some really good deals, you know, that you can get if you book at the right time. And especially if you're only going like for one or two nights, you know, the hotel costs are not that expensive. So realistically, for, you know, maybe like one or two thousand dollars, you can go and, you know, meet with a ton of factories. You can kind of do a lot of groundwork and really suss out like, okay, how serious am I about this? As opposed to constant emailing backwards and forwards. And look, as a factory owner, they're going to take you much more seriously if you rock up in person, as opposed to one of the, let me tell you, millions of emails that get every sort of, you know, day from people being like, oh, I have this product and I want to make it and nothing would ever come from that. So, it's definitely an advantage to you in negotiations if you show that you're serious by rocking up to Hong Kong. And I believe I'm a huge believer of human connection. And I believe that with human connection, your business will ultimately succeed. I know that's like, it's the one thing I put down to my success in both my businesses, but yet people are so reluctant to do it. You know, they don't want to get behind the computer, you know, technology, technology, but I do agree that if you can, you know, if you're serious about this, what could come of it is not only that, but other people you'll potentially meet from Australia. Just, I mean, the door opens for you when you actually go and give, you know, hugs and a handshake is what I put it down to. Um, the connections built, trust is built faster. You can see people's body language, their eye contact, how they interact with other people. Um, you can't get that through an email. You know, um, people can fake so much through an email, but they can't fake it in person. Exactly. And when you're also dealing with a language barrier, so much confusion can come from writing things in email. I am such a big believer in trying to do as much communication face-to-face. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that you have to be in Hong Kong or China every week, but as an initial, you know, kind of starting point, it's so much easier to explain something to someone and even like having, you know, tangible items with you that you can kind of like explain what it is that you're trying to achieve. Whereas I think in Australia or in a lot of Western countries, we have this culture of email where we think, oh, there'll be a record of it and you know, people can take their time and read it. But when you're manufacturing a product, sometimes it's not that easy to like describe in email what it is that you're trying to achieve. Like sometimes you need to feel something or sometimes you need to demonstrate how something works in yes. order for someone to understand what it is that you're trying to do. So, you know, that's where 100% I agree with you. Nothing can beat that face-to-face interaction. I know, for example, I went, I took my youngest daughter, Chloe Glenella, yesterday to the doctor and she's like making these, like she's been snoring for the last, like forever, right? And then I was like, man, does she have sleep apnea? Like how can a five-year-old have sleep apnea? But I'm thinking, again, it's not uncommon, right? So I went to the doctor and, you know, I was able to take, I like had set the alarm on my phone to make sure I got up in the middle of the night to record what was happening. And she said, 
it is amazing, even from a doctor's point of view, that back in the day you would try to describe things and use hand gestures and do all of this, and yet they still couldn't really nail what happened. But she said now with the, you know, in that instance, me being able to go to her human to human and share with her, do you know what I mean? That's, do you know what I mean? What that sound actually was, how did this, she was much easier to help me, do you know what I mean? Point me in the direction, no diagnosis happened, but point me to the direction of getting, do you mean a hearing test, da, 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 and then going to a specialist. So again, it, it, it being that human to human contact and being able to demonstrate your product or in my case, do you mean Chloe's to mean snoring sound in the middle of the night, it, it sped the process up so much faster. I see people waste years of their life, honestly. Yeah. Like, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they don't involve a factory early enough in their design process. So most people I see um, who I work with who have like a, you know, a product idea have spent years refining it, making it perfect, thousands of dollars on molds, thousands of dollars on prototypes, thousands of dollars on these hundreds of hours, only to take it to a factory and the factory be like, oh, yeah, we could do it, but it's like a 10,000 minimum and you've got like 12, you know, unique components that each need a thousand dollar mold and blah, 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 blah. And I think, wow, you wasted so much time. Whereas my method of prototyping and designing is to involve the factory at the very beginning of your concept and to demonstrate the outcome as opposed to the product. So I have like a little side hustle myself where I've created this um, kind of filming kit for content creators. And, you know, I had the idea and within 48 hours I was talking to a factory and I had a stuck together, like literally masking taped together (laughs) prototype that was like missing half the componentry that I needed. But there was enough there for me to demonstrate what I was trying to achieve. And we have been able to go backwards and forwards and work together to use existing componentry to get the desired outcome that I want, but I only have to order a hundred units of it. Now that's amazing, right? Like as opposed to if I had gone away and created what I thought was the most amazing product in the world, it may be the most amazing product in the world, but is it a viable product that you can actually manufacture? Possibly not. Cause like I don't need to go buy 10,000 units of a product. That's a side hustle that I'm just doing for a passion, Yes, Um, you know, and that's where I think so many people get stuck that there are beautiful prototypes sitting in people's garages all over the world that they've tried to create and launch a product that probably should exist in the world, but won't because of the way that they approached trying to get it manufactured. And I'm all about failing fast. Come up with a prototype. Again, it's not about what platform your business is on and what social media you're doing. It comes down to product. Are you solving a problem for people and will it sell? If not, fail fast, move on to the next one because so many people get stuck on these products that again, they haven't even validated if it's going to be worthy, but yet they're spending thousands of dollars on website, thousands of dollars on SEO on things that aren't even what do you mean people want? So I couldn't agree more with come up with it, see if it's there, buy small quality quantities, get it out there. And if it doesn't, if it does well, scale, if it doesn't get rid of it, you know? Exactly. Um, But even before you do that, use a test it. So I see so many people who feel that they need to have their products perfect before they can use the test it because like they're too embarrassed to, you know, show people, I guess the rough version. I'm the total opposite. So I literally with my masking taped, you know, prototype, approached strangers and asked whether or not they would, you know, use a test and give me feedback. And the thing is, yes, it was embarrassing to be like, could you just hold on a moment while I masking tape my rig together? But what it allowed me to do was to iterate my product so quickly, you know, because instead of going, 
through this whole process of designing and then realizing that there was something wrong, I would have someone user test something and I, it would be evident really, really quickly if there was something wrong with like the tripod or if there was something wrong with the connector pole. And then I would contact fact, the factory. Within, you know, like seven to 10 days, I'd have a new, you know, component to test. I'd go out again and like I was able to get to where I wanted to be so much quicker as yes, opposed by asking. to, yeah, like ordering a hundred, selling it and going, oh, this is wrong with it. And so, well, now let's throw out 70 by another hundred. You know, you really kind of just have to overcome that embarrassment, involve your factory and involve your users in the process of designing your product. Yep. No, perfect. So to wrap up, let me ask you this. If there's three tips you could give anyone listening right now about manufacturing in China, what would your top three tips be? I've probably mentioned all of this already, but I think it would be worthwhile to just kind of like highlight these three things. Number one is definitely to start as you intend to go on. So while it's really tempting and while you might get sold this concept of having an agent do everything for you, work out your goal. What is it you're trying to achieve with this product and then do the hard yard. So if it's an empire, source your factory direct yourself from the very beginning. If it is a side hustle and you're always, you know, going to keep it that way and be honest with yourself. Is that really what you want or is kind of that's what you think you want? Um, So, you know, pick which way you're going to go and then really follow through with it. Number two, test how serious you are. So, you know, realistically, if you are going to be wanting to manufacture a product in China, you should go there. So, you know, like I said, most people do some form of holidaying or traveling, you know, every year, make it a priority that that next trip falls in line with a trade show and you at least do a stopover in Hong Kong or even have a holiday in Hong Kong or China, you know, um, and do a little bit of business at the same time as the, you know, kind of holiday that you would normally have. Yep. And then number three would definitely be, you know, involve your users and the factory in the design process. If you've got an idea for a product, don't go spend thousands of dollars and don't spend, you know, thousands of hours perfecting it unless you've actually spoken to a factory to see whether whether what you want to create is possible and whether you've spoken to potential customers and if they actually want to buy what you're trying to create because there's just no product uh, no point creating a product that you think is amazing but that no one else wants to buy no fantastic it has been an absolutely amazing uh wealth of knowledge from you today in regards to manufacturing in china and i know many listeners are going to gain a lot of benefit from this so i can't thank you enough for spending part of your friday down in cold sydney uh to be here with us today and if people want to know more about you where can they find you so I'm not fantastic at social media, but you can find me um, on Instagram as Elise Daniels. The other interesting thing that I'm doing, which people may or may not want to watch, is that I'm vlogging my life as an entrepreneur at the moment. Uh-huh. I do do it under a different brand, which is called Synopoly, which is S-Y-N-O-P-L-Y. Uh-huh. I kind of wanted to separate it from my you know, main company because sometimes I talk about what's going on um, yeah, you know, yeah. with Exodus. So yeah, you can definitely um, follow that. And look, something else that I'd love to hear is I love to hear about people's product ideas and I love to be given prototypes to test. <laughs> so yeah, my perfect. dog at the moment is actually doing some user testing of a dog bed yeah. <laughs> um, that one of my you know, people that I've been working with is trying to create. And so for me, I love product. There's nothing more special or exciting than, you know, having someone come up with an idea and then actually, you know, helping them bring it to life. So if you've got a product idea and you want me to like test your crazy contraption, (laughs) send it to me and I will give you real and honest feedback. Perfect. And where, what would be the best contact for them to be able to do that if they're listening? 
And you can either just contact me via Instagram or LinkedIn. Otherwise, yeah. I don't mind if you have my email address. Um, it is Elise, E-L-Y-S-E at exodusware.com.au. Perfect. Too easy. Well, thank you so much today, Elise. And for the rest of you, my team and I will also be uh, be putting together the whole transcription for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au with all those wonderful links, trade resources, etc. that Elise has spoken about today. And of course, I cover all sorts of related business and life topics inside my Facebook group, the Australian Business Collaborative, where we're just about to reach 4,000 business members. So feel free to join us, whether or not you're from Australia, UK, wherever you're from, feel free to join us. It's a very supportive uh, business group for all. And for the rest of you have an awesome day no matter where you are in the world and I look forward to connecting with you on our next episode of Business and Life Conversations with Angela Henderson have a great day everyone bye thanks for listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson www.angelahenderson.com.au